Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blue Jays fans. Happy Thirsty Thursdays. It is your host, Brendan Panikar. It's my second time in the last three weeks hosting this pod with my wonderful co-host, Craig Borden from Rochester, New York. How are things, buddy? Wonderful as always, and honestly, I love what these kids are doing right now, Brendan, and I can't be more excited about it. Yeah, man. I think the growing trend on our show, ever since probably, well, probably since this offense has really heated up and this team is turning a corner, is... That you can strongly say, make a case that six or seven positions are solidified and spoken for going into 2020 season. And the kids are hitting, they're putting up better at bats, and there's still so much room to grow because guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and others are in a little bit of a slump. But the pitching still needs to be figured out. And I think that was fully on display uh, the first series and, and uh, second series out of the All Star break. Craig, I want to kind of shift our discussions here and lead right into the Yankees series because it kind of was a bit of a buzzkill after the uh, the high of the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run derby, wouldn't you say? I'd say that, and it's the unfortunate side of the, our, our pitching once again coming back to bite us in the ass, man. It's just, you can't win too many ball games when we're doing things like that, but the Blue Jays did squeak out a couple, so it can only be so unex... You know, oh no, sorry, I only got the one. I, I forgot they were that close in the other... <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> but anyways, still stealing one from the Yankees, who are the best team in the American League East right now. I'm fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, I mean, when you go through and look at the series and you add up the runs the Yankees scored, they only scored nine runs over the course of that three-game series. But still getting shut out, not scoring many runs. The Blue Jays only scored four runs that entire series. It's actually really low-scoring series, uh, series when you think about it. Uh, we saw Aaron Sanchez kick things off. Uh, Marcus Stroman also pitched uh, on the Sunday game of the series, uh, and I'm blanking on Saturday, which is why I went from Saturday or sorry Friday to uh, to Sunday there. But you it's know what? Important. There was some good pitch games. Uh, it was Clayton Clayton Richard that's who, and he got injured after two innings. But Craig, I kind of want to lead into Aaron Sanchez. We've seen two turns through for Aaron Sanchez after the All Star break. Are you seeing any signs of Aaron Sanchez coming back a little bit from the dead? Because he wasn't so bad against the Yankees, and he looked decent against the Boston Red Sox. What are your thoughts? Other than the fact that I was reading something, I think, that Hazel May put on on Twitter before our show tonight, that he is the only pitcher to lose 10 straight games since, like, 1940. Slightly ridiculous. But... (laughs) The fact that he actually pitched five innings in both games, seven and eight hits in each performance, and somehow actually identical strikeout walks and earned runs in those innings. I 
don't understand how. It, I guess that's a consistent Aaron Sanchez start for two starts in a row here after the uh, All-Star break. But it, it it's almost too weird that against two teams in the American League East that are good teams, he only allowed four earned runs. I just can't believe he's not striking people out like he used to. It's almost like there's not enough torque on that pitch, man. That's what people are thinking. That's what uh, I believe uh, Scott MacArthur, who hosts Blue Jays Talk, has been actually hosting uh, the 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. slot leading into Baseball Central this week. And uh, I forget who they had on, but that's exactly what people are saying. They just don't think Aaron Sanchez has that torque on his delivery. It doesn't seem to be as powerful coming out of his arm when it leaves. It's not sinking nearly as much. And it's only rising. And if you're only throwing one kind of fastball consistently, the riser, people are going to adjust. He can't get through a lineup more than once. But, as you mentioned, Craig, him getting through five innings for both of his starts seems to be a trend uh, in a positive direction. Unfortunately, though, in the Yankees series, Craig, we lost a starting pitcher who is now on the injured list, Clayton Richards. And I don't know if that's unfortunate or not because that opens up a starter spot for a younger guy, and we saw Thomas Pannon take that start today, which we'll get into. Who do you think is going to be taking Clayton Richards' spot in the rotation? Because it's a little bit in flux. Ryan Barucki is going to be activated, and he may start Sunday or Monday. Jacob Wagaspak started on Tuesday, and Pannon started today. If you were betting on one of those, well, I guess not Ryan Barucki, or who do you think will be taking Clayton Richards' spot in the rotation? As much as I don't want to see it for our future road trip here this weekend, I think Ryan Barucki will be pitching Sunday or Monday for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I don't see any way out of that. I don't think I want to mess with Sam Gavilio, who's having a pretty decent season in the in the bullpen. I don't want to continue to screw around with anybody else. The only one that I thought wouldn't be the worst of wild cards is somebody that's already stretched out for maybe a spot start in Nick Kingham. He's been actually pitching really damn good, and I've been very impressed with what he's been doing since he's come to Toronto from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't think he'd be the worst. I think he's your outside uh, looking in guy, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're thinking about something like that because why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure who's going to take that start. Uh, I mean, Ryan Barucki is lined up for Sunday as of right now, so they need a starter spot there. And Clayton Richards' spot was today, which Thomas Pannon took it. But it's going to be interesting to see. But honestly, at least they took one game against the New York Yankees, especially at Yankee Stadium, a place that historically has given this team trouble. And then we get into the fun with the Boston Red Sox for the last four days at Fenway Park. Luckily, Craig, this was the last visit that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be making to Fenway this year. So it's not all bad when you think about it. The fact that you end at Fenway Park in a season at the midway point of July. Give me some of your general thoughts on this series, because we saw the Boston Red Sox absolutely light up the pitching staff. Trent Thornton was not very good on Monday. Jacob Wagaspak was looking pretty good on Tuesday, but then he started to get lit up, but the Blue Jays did win that game. Uh, Sanchez, as we mentioned, and Thomas Pannon today. What stood out to you the most about that Boston Red Sox series? The fact that our offense, other than today, was actually hitting on all cylinders those first two games. Eight runs in the second game, and then in the first game we got, oh, sorry, eight runs in the first, no, ten in the first. I'm looking, flipping through tabs here. <laughs> so they, they scored a lot of runs, and it was a little bit of a collective effort. You know, I just couldn't believe that, you know, they had all that going on right in the order. that On the, the Monday night game, there was only one person in the whole lineup that didn't have a hit, and one, and two people didn't have RBIs. It, that's 
kind of crazy. I think the hilarious part of that is the hottest hitter in our lineup was the one that didn't have a hit on Monday night. That's Loris Gurriel Jr., who has been doing nothing but rake all this time. And the fact that, you know, the Red Sox have such a good offense and the fact that you never are out of a game in Fenway Park. They, the fact that they scored that many runs, I think, is just something that they should be very proud of and the fact that they were able to come back and get into that game Monday night when they had no business being into it at all. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, honestly, if you are the Boston Red Sox and Dave Dombrowski and just fans of the Boston Red Sox, you got to be taking a pretty hard look at your team and be like, we may miss the playoffs because our bullpen is terrible. Our rotation is decent, but after the starter leaves the game, we're letting teams linger around and come back on us. The Red Sox barely hung on on Monday night and Wednesday night. The Blue Jays very well could have taken three out of four games in this series against the Boston Red Sox, which would have been incredible. Even the fact that they looked competitive on Monday and Wednesday when they lost, they weren't so competitive today, mind you. But when they were out there on Monday and Wednesday and just showed so much fight, I really think, Craig, this is showing the character of this team. The nucleus is starting to come together, and you're starting to see remnants of the team that won the AA championship last year because there's so many key contributors to that team that is on the big league squad this year. What do you think about that? I think we've seen it coming for a long time, and I think, that fact that they've been winning in the minor leagues, all these guys together. I think it just speaks exactly to what this organization has been trying to do. And it, it's perfect. It's going to align so nice. This is just one of those things that is just amazing. And this is the Houston Astros a few years ago. You can see it coming through the minor leagues and then bam, there it is, you know, world champions. This is the stuff that everything's built on. And I got to mention, because you were leading down this hole a minute ago, if I'm the Red Sox, I'm freaking out for this season and going forward looking at what this team was doing and also I don't know how close you looked at the box scores or where you're paying attention while you're watching the games if the Red Sox don't have Raphael Devers playing in this series the Blue Jays won nine RBIs and he apparently has 27 or 28 RBIs against the Blue Jays out of his 70 now for the whole season (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah. saying something and uh, I'm going to just be the one that blatantly says it apparently he hit he can hit crappy pitching <laughs> so I don't if I'm the Red Sox I'm not jumping heels you know or clicking my heels or anything while they that's how I'm scoring runs against a team that can't pitch and but the and their offense is obviously our offense is crushing it just like theirs is get right in the games it's how it is you would yeah. some pitching. This, no. this, te- this season looks a lot different all of a sudden if you had some pitching down the stretch. It really does, man. And that's what they were saying on the radio this morning, too, and I completely agree with this take, is if you are able to get potentially a starter or somebody just for the rest of the year comes up and completely surprises you, you get some guys back from injury next year, and you just get lucky. It's not so hard to see this team be probably around a 500 team next year. I think the way things are going, Craig, is at the end of this year, if this team is trending in the right direction, they will be on a lot of people's radars to pick up. Maybe that sleeper team that surprises a few people. I don't think they'll be ready quite yet as soon as 2020, but it's sure looking like 2021 is a very, very reasonable uh, timeline to start thinking about when uh, this team can make playoffs again. And it's all a matter of getting some starting pitching, uh, whether it's Nate Pearson, or some guy like Sean Reed Foley, 
or Jacob Wegspack, whoever it is, just stepping up and taking a rotation spot and running with it for a little while. But Craig, offensively, this has been something we've discussed quite a bit so far in our show. Oscar Hernandez has hit three home runs in this Boston Red Sox series. He hit one on Tuesday, and he hit two on Wednesday night. Are we finally starting to see the work Oscar Hernandez put down in Buffalo pay off at the major league level, much like when Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was sent down and came back up and was absolutely raking? I'm not surprised it took him a little bit longer than Lourdes, but it is coming. And I don't think we're ever going to see a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. level of play out of Teoscar Hernandez. What I'm excited to see about Teoscar Hernandez is that he's playing a good center field, which who the frick would have thought we were saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and second, he is a guy that's just going to – I want somebody like him at the bottom of our lineup with some thump. Having somebody like him in our seven spot that can bat 250 and hit 20, 30 home runs, that's pretty – that's an extended lineup if you got somebody like him down after Vlad and everybody. And this is after we talk about the other elephant in the room, but <laughs> there is that. <laughs> um, I just think it's very interesting to see that we have somebody like him and that he's part of the playing set here in a lineup that might not know where to put him 100% with some of these prospects that he needs to hit or to at least show that he can be a DH or a fourth outfielder or whatever go for this team going forward. Yeah, I completely agree. If Teoscar Hernandez is able to turn things around and it's really looking like he is starting to put things together and becoming the guy we saw glimpses of last year, that's nothing but good because you add another guy to that list of six or seven we alluded to at the beginning of the show, you could get upwards of eight positions solved for the beginning of 2020. Now, it's a whole debate on whether you think Teoscar Hernandez is a long-term piece or not. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game which is probably why it took him longer than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to get going since he came up from Buffalo. But where do you ultimately see T. Oscar Hernandez ending up? Do you think he sticks in center field? Do you think maybe he could get converted to a full-time DH? Or do you think they pull something completely out of thin air and play him at first base and teach him first? Because Rowdy Telez just got sent down, uh, which we will probably get into in a little bit, and Justin Smoke could be gone at the end of the year. Where do you think Teoscar Hernandez ultimately ends up going into 2020? Honestly, I think it's interesting with the smoke thing. I think you hit something pretty good there as far as it goes. I've been thinking about it for a while. He's already proven he can change his position once, and he, he's got a good glove. I'm not going to knock him. but And um, if he's going to hit, you got to find a place for him to hit, and I'm just assuming that there's more athletic outfielders coming our way in Toronto, whether it's an Anthony Alford or a free agent of some sort that we're going to have to probably push Teoscar into at least a fourth outfielder role. If I can get him more at-bats where he can pop those 20 home runs we were just talking about at first base or DH or just, like I said, rotating in between DH and the outfield spots, I got to give it to him. But I really do think the Blue Jays are hoping to capitalize on him being like a Carlos Pena-like level player in the next year and hopefully that he comes out of it, that they can use him as a trade chip. So I don't think he's part of the long-term plan. I agree with you. I actually don't see Teoscar Hernandez being on this roster the next time the Blue Jays get to the playoffs. He could be a guy who really heats up next year or the year after and is moved to a team in the deadline to get somebody better or to really get that impact player. Um, but yeah, now I completely agree with you there. It is possible we see another position change. I think we'll get to that point when we get to that point. But I did mention Rowdy Telez very briefly. He got sent down during the Yankee series. 
Mini uh, Papo Bichette was going to get caught up, and we'll save the discussion for a bit later. Um, but how soon do you think it is until we see Rowdy Tellez back up here? I think it's going to be when rosters expand. I really, I, as much as I love Rowdy Tellez, I have seen Major League Baseball take advantage of the holes in his swing. And it's nothing against his work ethic or anything, but I think he's due for the same kind of treatment that Gurriel and uh, Teoscar got. That he's going to go down, they're going to play with his swing, try to fill in those holes, and then he's going to come up and he's going to be that good again. It's going to be the same thing, I think, of what we saw last September from Raleigh Telez this September without even thinking about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, man, because he's such a he's a very easy person to root for, especially with his uh, with his past last year with his mother unfortunately passing away. In 286 plate appearances this year, Rowdy Telez hit 14 home runs, which is nice, with 40 RBI. But you look at it a little bit deeper, he struck out almost 30% of the time. His OBP is 280, which is not good. His batting average is down to 227, and his weighted runs created plus, where the league average is 100, is at 82. So the 14 home runs looks nice, but there's a lot of stuff beneath the surface of Rowdy Tellez that isn't so favorable. That's another question for later, and probably a debate at the end of the season, whether or not we think Rowdy Tellez is a long-term piece on this team. That's still up for debate. But, Craig, we've covered the Yankees series. we covered the Red Sox series a little bit. The offense has been really good. The pitching, not so good. Let's tee up the Detroit Tigers series. And we're going to see Marcus Stroman make the start tomorrow night at Comerica Park. Trent Thornton is going to pitch on Saturday night against Jordan Zimmerman, or sorry, against Daniel Norris. And then Sunday will either be Ryan Barucki getting activated, or as Charlie Montoyo said today, Jacob Wegespack could start to give Sanchez and to give Ryan Barucki just an extra day off. Now, I think you know where I'm going with this. Tomorrow night, is this going to be Marcus Stroman's last start as a Toronto Blue Jay against the Detroit Tigers? It wouldn't shock me. The Everything we're reading is the wind is definitely blowing that way, and it sounds almost official that Marcus Strum is not going to be a Toronto Blue Jay for much longer, let alone the end of the season. And I just don't see him staying in Toronto now. This is it, it's Like I said, it's like hurricane wind blowing in that direction. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I And I, I honestly, I think that is the best for both parties. Marcus will get a chance to go to a playoff team. We'll get the pieces we need to go back to eventually get to the playoffs. And Ken Giles is another guy who finally got back from nerve inflammation from receiving a massage. Tracy baseball injuries, you hear these funny stories all the time, but it sucks because the Blue Jays always seem to have issues with their trade trips towards trade deadline time. But Ken Giles went out there last night, gave up a run, looked like he still had a bit of bite on the slider. There were some concerns about his fastball velocity, and he still needs to prove to teams that he can pitch on back-to-back days yet again uh, before having to go out there. And it sucks. His trade status could be up in the air. But how soon do you think Ken Giles has moved? Because if Stroman is going to be making what could be his last start tomorrow night, how soon after do they trade Ken Giles? Unless he's packaged with Stroman, which I don't see happening. I think the value is better with them being separate at this point. Um, I don't think he's going to get moved until probably the trade deadline. I just think that the little bits, those are those questions in there. And um, I honestly think the whole thing with his outing last night was the fact that it wasn't a save opportunity. 
he doesn't get amped up anywhere near as good as he does when he goes out for a save. And I figure that's where the one earned run came from and the slight tick in, in velocity. The fact that he gave up only two hits and was not on his best stuff, it's it's fine by me. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think there's any issue. But I would be not shocked if that's how Major League Baseball teams are seeing the whole thing, Brennan. Yeah, I uh, I I wouldn't I would lie if I say I wasn't a little bit concerned, but I think he still needs to go out there, prove that he can pitch two days in a row and be fine, and come back out there for three nights in four days or something along those lines. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Both Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles are likely to be moved in the next coming days or weeks. Stroman likely after this start. I would be honestly shocked, Craig if Marcus Stroman makes yet another start for the Toronto Blue Jays. There was some talk that maybe his start after the Yankees series, or the Yankee game on Sunday would have been his last start. They're toying with, uh, with fire here, my friend, and that kind of leads into the discussion on, that's been really circulating around Twitter lately, is the trades that this front office has made, this regime of Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, and if they've botched, a lot of trades because I was getting into it with a guy on Twitter who says yes they botched multiple trades. The only one for me that comes to mind is Josh Donaldson. But let's take a little bit of a trip down memory road. I'm going to list a few trades here, Craig. Chime in if you remember any of them. And let's see how many we would consider them actually to be botches. So I'm going to go back into 2017. The Blue Jays traded Francisco Liriano for Teoscar Hernandez and Nori Aoki. Was that a botch trade? I don't see that being a botch. <laughs> <laughs> Nori, Nori Aoki was a guy that you could... Complete flyer, but the guy, one way or the other, he was a asset to come into that team at the time. They wanted somebody that come off the bench and steal some bases. That was the try. That was the plug-in place. Why the hell not? Exactly. Yes, and I am in complete agreement, so we're one for one. The next one that comes to mind, Steve Pierce for Santiago Espinal. Botched or not botched? Exact opposite of whatever the hell botched is. I've seen <laughs> Santiago Espinal play, and that kid is going to be an everyday shortstop for somebody in the major leagues if it's not the Blue Jays. He's doing great again this year with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and it just wouldn't shock me that if he's thrown right into that conversation with Kevin Smith and everybody that is also coming up through the minor leagues as possible middle infielders for the Toronto Blue Jays. And what was it? An MLB pipeline possible breakout candidate for this season? Yep, Boom. You got it. Exactly Steve Pierce is garbage this year. Up. No offense and lost his job. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been injured quite a bit this year, too. So they are I love him, two. but I know. I'm not shocked that he got hurt again. No, me neither. He just cannot stay healthy. But apparently when he stays healthy, he becomes a World Series MVP. <laughs> <laughs> there but, is that. I, the way I see it, the both and that actually might be the most even trade that we've had in the recent for the Blue Jays as far as who got what. I can't say we won the trade on that, but we definitely didn't botch it. But the, the Red Sox, unfortunately, got their stupid World Series win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. That's one thing that we discussed in the offseason is Santiago Espinal being a potential breakup candidate in the minor league because of how hard he hits the ball, line drive. It's crazy. And the fact that you could get him for Steve Pierce, who was pretty much picked, I wouldn't say picked up off scrap heap, but signed to a very short-term and cheap contract and has had a career filled with injuries. Productive player when he's healthy. He can be very productive. But, yeah, Steve Pierce, 
for Santiago Espinal was definitely not a botch. Next one that comes to mind, Craig. John Axford for Corey Copping. I know that this one is a little bit more under the radar. We haven't seen Corey Copping at the big league level yet. He's down in Buffalo in AAA, but he could be somebody who is a major league reliever at some point, especially maybe after this trade deadline if a few guys are uh, shipped off and out of Toronto. What are your thoughts on that trade? I think the Blue Jays couldn't do anything but win that trade. We still have John Axford. <laughs> it's it's silly, and I think it's one of those things you you knew you got you were gonna get nothing for for John Axford at the beginning of that season. Nothing. He they cleaned him off the scrap heap, prating him up into a prospect that could be a potential piece. Is Coffin going to run away with a job? Probably not, but he's one of those guys that is key on a Major League Baseball team when you are competitive, even if it is a guy that's going on the bus back and forth between Buffalo and uh, Toronto. He's got a live arm. Something could come of it, and you got him basically for free. Yeah, I'm still shocked that they were able to get something for John Axford, and I feel bad for John Axford because this guy has had some injury problems in his past, had some really really good seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers, but the fact that they were able to get a piece who could have an impact on this big league level uh, as soon as past this trade deadline, or maybe even next year, if he comes in and wins a job out of spring training, I think you have to consider that one a win as well. We will get into some bigger ones. There's a few other low-hanging fruits to kind of prove our points here. <laughs> Aaron Loop for Jacob Wagespeck. Win or not? What has Aaron Loop done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we were able to turn Aaron Loop into anything after a couple of years there. I remember watching him here in Buffalo a couple of times, Brendan, and I was thinking his career was over with. He was able to turn around into something where the Blue Jays were able to turn around and for what is now um, probably a sixth starter, maybe potential bullpen piece in a regular everyday lineup. Either way, nobody's doubting the fact that Jacob Wagaspeck is a major league pitcher at this point, and he pitched another good game against the Boston Red Sox last night. Yeah, he really did. And you know what? Aaron Loop, who is on the tail end of his career, is starting to go down towards the end of his career. The fact that Jacob Wagaspeck has already had an impact at the big league level, I don't think how I don't know how you could even consider that trade to be a loss. No, so what are we now? Four for four on yeah, some of the four trades. Four. So I haven't heard a loss chalked up. <laughs> I know it's crazy, or Bosch, or whatever we want to call them. So let's get into some bigger names. Sung Wan Oh, who was signed last year or last off season at the tail end, right before spring training, was really good for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they shipped him to the Colorado Rockies for outfielder Horace Wall and first baseman, first baseman Corey Spanberger. Was that a win or was that a botch? I'm going to chalk that one up as a neutral for both teams at the moment, but there is some very big potential all of a sudden for Forrest Wall in New Hampshire. He's pretty much been their team MVP in AA so far, and honestly, if they had somewhere to put him in the outfield in Buffalo, that he would probably be up there already. But I think they like him in that possible playoff hunt there again for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. And Samuano, he's part of the bullpen, I guess, <laughs> for the Colorado Rockies. Isn't he hurt again? He is, and I believe he's now out for the season. <laughs> even, even more, ouch. So that's another, I'm going to have to call it a win then, based on that fact. And I haven't heard much about Corey Spanberger this year, but the fact that Forrest Wall was an all-star in AA, and that this club and this entire organization really needs outfielders to finally step up and cement their spot 
in the organization and potentially be impact big leaguers at one point, you got to consider that one to be a win. Yeah. And uh, as far as the Spanberger thing, he's got the one thing that you can't teach, and that's power. Exactly. And what do you need from first baseman? You need power, power. and wingspan. And he's a big guy, too. So that's nothing but good. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> All right. Next trade that we're going to go into is Aledmus Diaz for Trent Thornton. I don't know how anybody would ever be able to argue this trade is a bad one, and I suspect you are on the, along the same lines as that. Can I really go even deeper into that, seeing how he had traded for Elesmus Diaz for J.B. Woodman, who has done nothing for the St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> and is still yep. in double-A, even though that's where he was when we traded him. <laughs> that was two years ago now. <laughs> so you flip uh, uh, flip a minor leaguer for Elesmus Diaz, and then you flip Elesmus Diaz for um, basically our fifth starter for the foreseeable future. Uh, what's yeah. the problem? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Obviously, Trent Thornton still has the growing pains thing going on, but who isn't right now in the in the major leagues for the Toronto Blue Jays? Other than Justin Smokes, the only guy that's been there for a million years. <laughs> so I'm going to call that. Like I said, Trent Thornton is a piece of this rotation going forward, and you flip them for another shortstop in our system, and Elizmus Diaz blocking potential talent. Win. Yeah. Absolutely. You are 100% correct, my friend. All right, so I have three more that I want to go over before we get to the Josh Donaldson trade. Or maybe Josh Donaldson trade is including those three. <laughs> Randall Grichik to the Toronto Blue Jays for Dominic Leone and Connor Green. Now, Randall Grichik is... He's been a good contributor to this big league club. He was pretty good last year in the second half. Looks like he's getting off to a good start this second half. And Connor Green hasn't done a whole lot in the minor leagues. And Dominic Leone has been pretty mad since he's been a St. Louis Cardinal. The fact that you were able to get Randall Grichik, I'm assuming you think that's a win, especially because they've already locked him up to a five-year contract extension. At the time, I thought it was going to be a little bit more even. The Blue Jays were getting an outfielder that they wanted, and we were trading away a guy that I thought at the time was going to be at least a low-rotation arm. I don't know what has happened with Connor Green, but he, the campster has kind of fallen off the wheel <laughs> as far as it goes. And I just don't – I can't see how this is in hindsight now that this is not a win for the Blue Jays as you get an everyday player. And really what the can, uh, Cardinals got out of that is they still have Dominic Leone in their bullpen. So there's a bullpen arm trade for a everyday right fielder. Blue Jays win. I agree. And the fact that they've already locked up Randall Grichick for five more years at some pretty good money. I mean, it's not like it's going to hinder them or hurt them in the long-term future when you're going to have to start extending some you of these guys. You pay a guy to hit 20 home runs a year, and uh, anything else he does on top of that is only going to increase his free agent value, so he's working for himself at that point. 100%. And he plays good defense out in right field, decent in center field. I, uh, I've i been uh, pleasantly very, very happy. I thought at the time, too, Craig, I did think that that was going to be a little bit more of a wash. I was excited for Randall Grichik. But at the same time, just like you with Connor Green, we kept on hearing for years, Connor Green's coming, Connor Green's coming, Connor Green's coming. He throws so hard, he's going to be a legitimate pitcher when he gets up here. And it seems like the wheels have fallen off, fallen off with this kid. They need Dominic to convert Leon. him to a minor league or to a right. I honestly think he needs to be a re relief pitcher at this point if he's going to get to the yeah. majors. If from watching what I've seen of him when he was in the Blue Jays organization, he's got the stuff, but it's not going to carry as a starting pitcher apparently. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's kind of crazy uh, that uh, they were able to get Randall Gritchick for Dominic Leone, uh, who was really good as a Blue Jay, but also picked up off Scrap Heap and turned into a long-term piece. It's because the Cardinals so. didn't steal our minor league notes from our computers. <laughs> <laughs> right? you got to think that there was a little bit of something going Ding. on there. <laughs> Points. All right. So the next three guys were all instrumental to the Toronto Blue Jays playoff runs in 2015 to 2016 and have subsequently been chopped off within the last calendar year. The first trade I'm going to ask you about, Russell Martin and eating $6.4 million of Russell Martin's salary to the Los Angeles Dodgers for right-hander Andrew Sopko and Ronnie Burrito. Is that trade a win? Is that a botch that they didn't get a little bit more for Russell Martin? Or perhaps it was Russell Martin at that price becoming a little bit of a diminished asset? Honestly, I think they might have done a better job shopping him as a pitcher. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty damn good, hasn't it? Exactly. Uh, But I just, this one was the Blue Jays full-on investing in their future. Honestly, I'm shocked that we were able to even get prospects back in the trade, and it's only because we were able to take so much of that money on from Russell's final season. We were Now, remember this, everybody. We were going to take that money on one way or the other if we kept them. The fact that we were paying it and getting a couple prospects that look like they're panning out. I haven't seen much from Brito yet, but um, I've seen plenty of Sopko, and I have been pretty impressed. It's looking good. He's looking like a potential piece to this uh, rotation. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Sopko puts himself in that same conversation that we've been having for weeks about guys like Sean Reed Foley and Vegas Pack and, and so on and so forth. And, hey, man, another arm that you can add to that pool, one of them you got to think is going to pan out in the long term. Maybe not as a legitimate impact starter, but if you can be a fourth or fifth guy, which they seem to have accumulated a lot of, you'll be able to figure out the top half of your rotation with free agent spending or guys like Nate Pearson and Eric Pardino. So, yeah, I think Andrew Sopko could definitely be a useful piece uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays down the stretch and maybe even as soon as next year. All right. This trade, Craig, was, I wouldn't call it controversial. Um, I do think that this trade is, we won't see the returns come until, I would say, maybe three years down the road. Kevin Pillar was traded right after opening day for Alan Hansen, Derek Law, and Juan DePaula. Now, some people were starting to put this trade in the botched category. Um, maybe I can see that if you're looking at it from just strictly Alan Hansen and Derek Law. Uh, but Juan DePaula is the key piece here. Uh, would you put the Kevin Pillar trade in the botched category? Right now, at the minimum, I'm putting in the too early to tell <laughs> because DePaula has plenty of potential. Obviously, we saw what Hansen's done, and honestly, he hasn't been a bad piece for the uh, Buffalo Bisons, but I don't see him as an everyday, even extra infielder <laughs> at this point. Um, we saw what he could do earlier this season. I haven't seen any different tools or anything in Buffalo. So as far as it goes, that's what it is. I don't know what else to say on that one. <laughs> but I think as far as DePaula goes, we weren't going to keep Kevin Pillar anyway, so you got a chance to keep somebody, and that DePaula's the one. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. 
Um, and finally, I want to get into, I won't touch on the J-Hap trade because we kind of discussed that at length. The final trade I want to run by you, and this is the one that everybody's going to be talking about until we see what Julian Merriweather could be. Josh Donaldson for Julian Merriweather. I do think this falls into the botch category, and I'll tell you why. They should have traded Josh Donaldson after he finished 2017 like a madman and looking like the MVP that he was. It sucks hearing that Jack Flaherty could have been a guy who could have been the Toronto Blue Jay. That came out probably a few months after the uh, Donaldson was uh, back with the Toronto Blue Jays uh, last season, but it ended up going for Julian Merriweather. Is this a botch? Is Julian Merriweather potentially a piece because he's throwing triple digits? Or is this just going to be something that haunts this regime for a while, especially if they don't get Stroman and Giles trades down pat? I think there's a lot of reasons that fall into this. I'm going to call it right now a loss. But Julian Merriweather is a very nice piece that we got back for a guy that basically couldn't even show he could stay on the field at the time of this trade. I'm going to lump it in the botch because of the handling of how you treated Josh Donaldson in that time frame, along with the fact that you didn't trade him at the right time like you were alluding to. It's just silly how that whole uh, series of events transpired. I think Kevin Pillar knew he was going to get traded. You know, Unlike Josh Donaldson was trying to come back, and I think he honestly wanted to sign an extension with the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's why you see him where he is right now with his old buddy, Alex Anthopoulos. And doing pretty good, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> it's nice to see Josh Donaldson healthy. But I, I'm also talking this one up as a loss, just like I said before I led into uh, what I completely agree with you. Uh, I think there's a whole lot of factors that made the Donaldson trade uh, a loss, but they, I think they miscalculated when they should have traded him. But Craig, if you look back at all of those trades, and everybody is kind of concerned about the deals upcoming for Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles, I guess they kind of have a right to be, but at the same time, they all haven't been botches. There's been some really good trades, and I think we can both agree that I trust Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins to get this right. Why don't you give some words of wisdom to people out there who are questioning Atkins and Shapiro and kind of scared for the returns that they're going to get from Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles. Just put some words of wisdom out there into the ether as to why you should trust them. Yeah, um, I, I think you need to figure out a way to trust them. First off, these are the guys that were able to pull out some good pieces from when they were with the Indians and traded Bartolo Colon back in the day. So that was a heck of a pullback for the Indians. Getting Cliff Lee and Grady Sizemore at the time was a great young player in baseball. So being able to turn around and get somebody that's probably not quite as good as Bartolo Colon at the time, but somebody that has immense potential in a couple of years of control unlike Cologne did at the time. You should be able to get something pretty nice back and the fact that they have been doing this fine. They, they're doing a very good job of building up this minor league system. Why would anybody think that they're going to do anything short of at least getting a couple good pieces back to help this team win in the very near future? I think it's silly that they even everybody's making it sound like it's over with already. This isn't Everybody forgets that none of the prospects that we got for Roy Halladay from the Phillies ever panned out. 
the closest piece that yeah. you can make it from it, it was Devin Travis, and that's because he was six degrees from Kevin Bacon on the whole thing after all the trades ensued. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Devin Travis, as good as he was in 2015, he hasn't stayed on the seat, stayed on the. He's been the unluckiest baseball player I've ever seen in my life. As much as I want to see him play more baseball, I just don't know how it's going to happen. But th- those are the kind of things that happen with these trades, man. And the fact yeah. that they've won as many as they have, I think that is a good thing. Yeah. You know what? There's uh, enough proof positive that, uh, yeah, they, uh, I, I fully trust Rocket Pack as the market pyro. And if I was listening to you give that explanation, I would feel much more comfortable. So thank you for putting that out Now, there. I don't need to go too far the other direction here and say that people get dumb luck a lot, too. <laughs> Just look at our Mount Rushmore of 2015. We basically got Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista for dumpster dive trades. That's right. You are Jose Bautista was traded for Robinson Diaz. <laughs> and turned in the following year to the best hitter in Major League Baseball. Edwin Encarnacion was part of the Scott Rowland trade. <laughs> and we thought that the uh, big pieces of that trade were Zach Stewart and Josh Rennicke. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. And you know what? There, it, it, honestly, you can make trades for guys who are in the top 100. You can make uh, trades for other organizations' top prospects. You just never know how these things are going to pan out. Because we thought Kyle Drabeck was going to be the next big thing when we got him for Roy Halladay. I remember being stoked that they got Kyle Drabeck. And who knows? Maybe if he didn't have to go through Tommy John for a second time, maybe he could have figured thing out uh, and live up to his potential. But basically, these trades are all crapshoots. It is too early to tell on a lot of these guys. And they may get lucky. Maybe an Andrew Sopko can turn into a legitimate arm. Maybe Juan DePaula, a few years down the line, can turn into a legitimate arm. Maybe Forrest Wall is the real deal down in double A, and he'll continue to grow and be an impact outfielder at the big league level. But I think that segues quite nicely, my friend, into the lovely Bo Bichette. I'm going to read you this quote that he gave to David Singh of Sportsnet the other day. He was asked if he thinks he's ready for the big leagues. His answer was, yes, I've done everything they've asked me to do. I've performed, I've put up numbers, I've gotten better offensively, defensively, base running, as an athlete, as a teammate. Everything they've asked me to do, I've done for the past three years. So if I'm not ready in their mind, there's something new that they need to tell me I need to do to get better at. What do you make of those words? Is Bobachette being impatient? Because Freddie Galvez and Eric Sogard are still here blocking his path. Does he have a legitimate gripe? Or is he just a kid that has a lot of passion and really wants to be challenged by the next level, which is the bigs? You want my blunt answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they want him to improve on his interviews. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I I agree and I understand why where he's coming from on this because Bobachet has been an absolute force for the Buffalo Bisons, but it is full on situational what is going on here. It is bad timing. The Blue Jays probably were hoping that he would really after his injury hit his stride two weeks from now, and then we don't even have this conversation. The Toronto Blue Jays are shopping. If they aren't, they're stupid. Freddie Galvis and Eric Sogard. One of those guys leaves this organization, you all of a sudden have a wonderful place to put uh, Bo Bichette in playing time. I think that's probably going to be more than likely that Freddie Galvis is the guy that's shipped off because of those positional issues 
whereas Sogard plays a little outfield and does some other things. But there is nowhere to play him. And I'm not, if I'm Atkins and Shapiro, I'm not bringing him up to play in this lineup to sit on the damn bench. I want Boba Shett to hit home runs, play slick defense, and look freaking awesome with his epic hair in the, out, in the, in the field. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to fit in so well in this city. Kid with flow. He's got a lot of flair. He's going to be a star when it gets up here. And him and Vladdy are going to bring this team back to the playoffs in a matter of years. But you know what? It's it, it completely in agreement with what you just said. And that's what people on Twitter have been saying in response to this David Singh thing is, yeah, I mean, there's not been nothing that Freddie Galvis or Eric Sogard have done to lose playing time. I actually think the front office did not. Well, I mean, nobody did. But they didn't expect Eric Sogard to be this good. I think they would have expected Sogard to be a guy who bought time for Bobochet to get ready. And if Sogard was Eric Sogard of his career and not 2019 Eric Sogard, there's a good chance that Bobochet would be here. But, Craig, that kind of segues into our Buffalo weekend. We will be able to see, in all likelihood, Mr. Bobochet down in Buffalo on Saturday and Sunday. And I'm going to paint you a picture. Saturday, around 7 p.m., the game started. We're in fourth inning. Bobochet just hit the home run. We're having a good time. We're having beers in downtown Buffalo. How excited are you for our Buffalo weekend? I'm excited to interact, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, we've been planning this for, what, about a month? We've been hoping we get yeah. some people to hang out with. I'm going to bring the microphone and everything. We'll hang out with the fans and <laughs> call the game or something. We haven't thought that part ahead yet, but the fact that we're gonna the beer will be flowing on what is looking like an epically hot weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hitting triple digits here in the Fahrenheit scale, so it's got to be pretty damn high on the Celsius one. <laughs> so... It'll be fun, though. We'll have some beers, and hopefully we'll see some good Bisons baseball for a team that's been playing very, very well. And it's not just Boba Shett. There is a lot on this team that everybody should be very excited for, and these are near-future pieces for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, it's going to be a great time, man. I think we get to see Sean Morimondo on Saturday, who kind of meh. And Sunday, (laughs) Sunday's still TBD because it's Ryan Barucki's spot. It could be. It's not going to be Ryan Barucki. He's going to be called up, whether that's to make Sunday start or Monday start at the big league level. Maybe Jacob Wegespack gets sent down because he's in line to start on Sunday. We don't know who we're going to see on Sunday yet. But Blue Jays fans, let us remind you that it is Blue Jays weekend in Buffalo. Uh, so on Saturday, what Wayne Ward is going to be signing autographs before the game. It is Labatter Day, as they call it. So three dollar beers out in the outfield. If you like Labatt Blue. <laughs> then, For $3, I do enjoy it. <laughs> yes, I, I, absolutely. I do too. Especially because they're only like $4.50 Canadian. For a tall boy, too, at a baseball game, which is pretty amazing. That's pretty insane. Because even for a minor right? league baseball game on a norm, I think that's a $7, $8 American beer here. Yeah, it's a fantastic deal. So I'm excited for that. And I'm also excited for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. bobblehead on Sunday, which is a major reason why we're doing this. Other than the meetup, go halfway from Rochester to Buffalo and Toronto to Buffalo, and meet up pretty much smack in the middle, catching some Buffalo Bison before Bobichek gets called up here. It's going to be great. And Craig, before before we wrap things up, name two bars in Buffalo where people will be able to find us, whether it's before or after the game on Saturday. I will tell you two of the best ones that you can find yeah. us at is Pearl Street Brewery, all their own beer, 
good priced, amazing food, and it is literally one of the biggest freaking bars in that area city. Four floors. <laughs> All pool tables, whatever the hell you can find. Pizza, great stuff. And like I said, the only thing that they serve that is not beer that they make themselves is Labatt, and that's because they have a deal with the Sabres Arena. <laughs> ah, <interesting. laughs> that's that is the pre the pre Sabres game hangout place is Pearl Street Brewery, right down the street. The other wonderful place that you'll get your wonderful Buffalo eclectic of uh, everything sports related in Buffalo, and that's the Seven One Six. Is a wonderful spot to hang out. And then, obviously, we're going to go get some chicken wings while we're in town, and Duff's is the place to be, man. <laughs> yes, I am quite excited for Duff's on Saturday when I arrive in town and when you and, and your lovely wife, Anna, arrive in town as well. But it's going to be great, and I'm also going to throw in the Labatt Brew House in there because it's still pretty new. We'll definitely want to check it out, see what that's all about. But I that's think regardless, people... yeah. <laughs> We're going to basically be wandering streets of downtown Buffalo, having a few drinks, interacting with Blue Jay fans, catching some AAA Buffalo Bisons baseball games, and you can probably tell by the tone of our conversations and our voices that we are quite excited for Saturday and for Sunday. We will be taking plenty of pictures on our Twitter feed, so you'll be able to hunt us down and stalk us. We'll keep updating you during the game and where we're hanging out if you want to come and chat. And 100%. I have a strange feeling a lot of it's going to be in the right field beer garden. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we have actual seats, but uh, there is a good chance that we could just end up staying out there, especially if we meet some of our Bullshit lovely Bullshit yeah, Taco home runs. <laughs> that's right, yeah, absolutely. Maybe catch some foul balls, catch a few home runs, whatever it may be. It's all going to be fun times at Salem Field in Buffalo on Saturday. And Sunday, and we want you to be a part of it. We're going to be tweeting out uh, where we are sitting, where we are, uh, what beers we're drinking, what we're talking about. So if you want to come by and say hello to the both of us uh, and to Anna, feel free. It's going to be a fun weekend. Craig, any final thoughts? I'm going to give the floor to you, whether you want to pitch the Buffalo weekend and coming up and meeting with us or anything that comes to mind. I'm going to let you close with the floor here okay well then why don't we just go like this if you want to be in on our conversation like i said we're going to be recording some stuff so you'll actually have questions whatever fielded with us and we'll put them on next week's episode or probably even a little bit before depending on how things go but you can be a voice on jaybird watching next week and it will be an immensely fun time for all i love it that was the absolutely perfect way to close this episode blue jays fans make sure you come and meet up with us at Salem Field on Saturday and Sunday, whichever day you are in town, maybe you're staying over, want to have a few wobbly pops, talk Blue Jays baseball, Bison's baseball, even Lansing Lugnuts baseball, whatever it is, you will be able to discuss it with us. You'll be able to listen to it on all of our shows at Bird Watching, at Bird Watching GC on Twitter, at Panacar37 and at Craigers. One, two, two, one. I finally got your Twitter handle down, Pat. <laughs> Give us follows. Give us likes. Subscribe. Hit us all up on every possible social media channel you can find, as long as you're not creeping us out. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, Craig, I will end things with a go Blue Jays and go Bison. Let's go Buffalo. (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.